You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. What I love about this book is it brings forth this question of how am I showing up at work? And more specifically, am I a best friend at work? Am I showing up in the best way um, for for my team around me? And that's what I think is really powerful. It helps you think about the nature of these relationships, the quality of those relationships. How am I being in those relationships? And where might I want to kind of turn things up a little bit or maybe turn something down to help increase connection? That was Ruby Besseley and Eric Spencer, two of the three co-authors of You, Me, We, why we all need a friend at work, and how to show up as one. As much as the business world talks about work, what is usually under-discussed is that so much of work is really about relationships. Ruby and Eric join me today to discuss their concept of a relationship ecosystem, which longtime and acute listeners will see as close to what we talk about with success packs. What I appreciate about their approach is that they invert the question from how to make or get friends to how to be a good friend or ally at work. I also opened up by following my own curiosity about what it was like to write a book as a trio, as it's an unusual route to go for this type of book. In retrospect, it makes sense that three coaches who talk about relationships could successfully navigate the process. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Eric Ruby, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. As we were talking about in the green room, I am really excited about talking about this book with you. Um, I think there's a lot to it that we'll get into, and I really appreciated the approach. Yeah. And so thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. Thanks for having us. All righty. So my first lead-in question is really noticing that you have three authors that collaborated on this book. And that's mm-hmm. an unusual number of authors. Um, to collaborate on the book and co-creative works like this, truly co-creative works like this can have their own set of challenges and opportunities. And so I'm going to start this way and Ruby, I'm going to kick this one to you first. Um, What were some of the unique delights and challenges of being a part of a Mm. writing trio for this work? You know, it's interesting. We've been teaching about this work for a few years. So we all sort of have our stories and our different connections to it. Um, And I think one of the challenges was that there are stories in there or examples where I wouldn't say it like that, right? Or that's not how I would perceive that. So it was a little bit of this give and take because there are things in there that I wanted to put in the book that maybe my colleagues don't fully agree. So it was really pulling out the best of the best, and, and as I think about Morag and Eric and I, we all um, have very different preferences. We, we teach DISC a lot. We all have different styles. And when the three of us are together with a client or writing a book, it's magic and it's powerful. 
Um, and so I love this process and, and it actually pushed us a little bit as in quotes, best friends at work, because we had to have some tough conversations along the way. We had to hold each other accountable in different ways because mm-hmm. we had deadlines and, and we had to have more tough conversations. So it actually made us put it into practice. So I learned more about these concepts by writing the book. What would you add, Eric? Yeah, I loved what you said about um, this different stories that we have and the way that we tell them. You know, we we would sort of divvy up different facets of the book to take on individually. And, you know, when you read what somebody else put down, you think, well, that's a very different story than the story I would tell. And I like my story better. (laughs) So there was there was some of that, like Ruby said, give and take. And there was a lot of, you know, sort of coming to terms with, you know, despite having led workshops on these topics for for 10 years, um, there are other perspectives and points of view out there. And once we got to a holistic component, you know, a chapter or the the book itself, um, to go back and look at what made the cut, um, to Ruby's point, it's it's better than what we would have come up with individually had we taken on the task ourselves. So that was, I, I think, one of the it was the the double edged sword of of being three voices, you know, and. As we worked through the project, we got better at creating a cohesive mm-hmm. voice because having three different points of view and just styles and tone and approach um, to create a work that reads as if one person wrote it. Um, that's what we were looking for. Right. And it was a it was a it was a rough road to get there. Uh, it was one of the, the beautiful silver linings of COVID and everybody being stuck at home. We had some time that we didn't have in the preceding nine years. <laughs> well, I love that. And as I was reading the book, I was like, I see what you all did here. I imagine how difficult it is. <laughs> I've, I've been in co-writing projects like that. And so like, I was like, Oh, this is one voice. Like even Charlie, like even myself, I have multiple voices that will come out. And right. so reconciling my own internal different voices is whether it's more philosopher Charlie and where there's more military Charlie and where there's more sort of executive coach Charlie, like those, I never know who's going to show up <laughs> on any given writing sort of thing. And so just reading the work and be like, okay, we need to sort of get, get the unified well, voice on this one, you know? Well, I want to know who's your favorite Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all, nah, it, it, I'm going to give you the philosopher answer, which is like, it depends, right? It depends on, on what we're doing. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that. It might come back around though. Um so um well oh you're talking about which of your voices were the favorite or which of my voices. Which, no, which, I was I was looking for which yeah. of your voices okay. were your favorite. <laughs> and they all annoy me equally and they all delight me equally. So uh, fair. That's fair. Um just in different ways. So um, before we dive back in, because I'm I'm really bad sometimes of just jumping in because I know the book and sometimes our listeners don't know the book. Um this book is an extension of um, Morag's previous work, Cultivate, mm-hmm. right? Correct. And so I'm always interested in knowing how the extension comes to be in the sense of like, it could just be like, no, we don't need another book. Or it could be like, no, this is the this is the piece that got left out. Like, tell us the, the you know, give us a quick synopsis of the book and what, what's the bridge between the two? Sure. So... The two fit together this way 
cultivate the power of winning relationships is a, it sets up an ecosystem. That's what we call it. The relationship ecosystem, a way to diagnose the health of professional relationships. So it's sort of an outside in focus and it breaks relationships into four primary dynamics, ally, supporter, rival, and adversary. And as we developed workshops and delivered them on this topic, the questions that kept coming up were on, okay, so once I know the state of the state here, what can I do? If I, if I want to build ally-based relationships, what are the things that I can do? And we kept getting this question. So we thought, well, we should probably figure that out. So we started doing some research on, on what makes those ally relationships special. Um, as we were delivering workshops on cultivate the components, the practices that make up the ally mindset changed. We added one mm -hmm. from the first printing of cultivate. So we actually had to rewrite the ally mindset chapter in cultivate. And as we were doing that, we, you know, we got to try on this trio writing partner approach. And, and as we worked through that process, we realized we've got a lot more to say then can be held in this tiny chapter. There's a book's worth of stuff here. And, and we started to develop content to go alongside with the research that we were doing in this space and field testing this with real live audiences. And that validated our hypothesis that there's more, there's more to say here. Um, and we think we could make a, a whole book out of the choices that we make. So You, Me, We is more of an inside out book. So it's, it's, if I want to invest in relationships and create ally relationships, what are the intentional choices I can make given the things that come naturally to me and the things I got to stretch to Ruby, what would you say? Yeah, nothing much to add there. Um, what I love about this book is it brings forth this question of how am I showing up at work? And more specifically, am I a best friend at work? Mm. Am I showing up in the best way um, for, for my team around me? And that's what I think is really powerful. It helps you think about the nature of these relationships, the quality of those relationships. How am I being in those relationships? And where might I want to kind of turn things up a little bit or maybe turn something down to help mm. increase connection? I love that. And it dovetails with some of the um, work that I was immersed in when, it, when I was writing Team Habits, because, you know, I was sort of looking at the fact that um, when you walk down the business aisle in a bookstore, mm -hmm. if you're paying attention, what you'll notice is the same questions are being asked on the business aisle that's being asked on the relationship and romantic relationship aisle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're the same basic questions. Are they the one, <laughs> right? Or is he the right. one? How can we spend more quality time? How can we not fight? How do we have, like, how do we do stuff together? And so I realized yeah. in that parallel, I was like, we're basically answering the same different questions, just in different contexts. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. this is where, when I was writing team habits, right? I lead with, you know, habits around belonging, because for many organizations, that's what they need to work on. So when I read You, Me, We, I was like, okay, this is a belonging book, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, with that, to really reference Gottman's work, like, I'll try not to get us in too much trouble here. Um, we form relations. We, we have different ways in which we 
create belonging and intimacy with us, right? So some people need to do stuff and then they can yep. feel that connection and belonging and stuff like that. And other people need to feel the connection and belonging to be able to do stuff. Right. Um, yep. And so, um, and it's very gendered in our society, right? So in romantic relationships, typically guys need to do stuff before they'll feel the security. Right. Right. Um, and vice versa for women. Again, sociologically speaking, I realize that's very heteronormative, but you know, I'm right. talking to sociological trends, all of those things. So I'm as I was reading you, me, we, I'm like, I'm wondering how they're going to balance this belonging before action or action to create belonging tension. I see you both nodding. So you know what I'm talking about here. So <laughs> Ruby, I'm going to kick it over to you to see how, um, you know, how that sort of surfaced in the writing and in the expression of this work. It's interesting because I'm thinking about the the five characteristics and they kind of build on one another. In the book, we talk about what are those five characteristics of an ally mindset and how do we need to show up? Um, and I would propose you kind of have to do all of them. Right in the, the second characteristic that we talk about is a connection and compassion. So we have to really connect with people in a way that we know their story, we know more about them before we can actually get really vulnerable and, and real courageous. But at the same time, it actually takes cur courage to show who you really are and vulnerability. So I, I would say what we're proposing is that someone has to go first you have to go somewhere first and it's probably going to take courage, but there's something about connecting with the people around us and feeling that sense of belonging so that we can have the hard conversations. We can go there and talk about the things that we need to talk about to make our relationship better, to make our team better, and to ultimately do better work out in the world, whatever we do. Yeah, you know, I, I let me jump in there because it makes me think about one of the questions that prompted us on this journey that we would get oftentimes people would say to us at the end of a workshop, well, how do I get more allies? Mm -hmm. How do I get them? And uh, it's funny because the obvious answer is, well, you have to be one, right? So we took that that Gallup Q10, question 10 of the Q12 do I have a best friend at work and flipped it to, am I a best friend at work? So of the five practices that make up the ally mindset, some of them are going to come easy to us. And some of them are going to be a little bit more difficult. And we've got a, a, a tool that we can share for free with your listeners here at the end of the show um, to give them some sense of what comes naturally for them. What I think balances the tension that you mentioned, Charlie is um, as a leader, I know that I, I got to go first and I got to go first and sometimes in contexts that I'm uncomfortable and I've got to be cool shouldering that and stepping into that space purposefully versus feeling neglected, sad, or lonely because Charlie didn't say the thing that would allow me to do the thing that I'm actually good at. I had to do the thing that I was less comfortable with so that I could get to the thing that I'm good at. Yeah, I love that. You know, I was, I'm, with this question, I was thinking about typical, um, again, um, I, I was thinking about a lot of the really dominant male teams that I've been on, 
right in my life mm-hmm. through Boy Scouts and the Army and things like that. And it's like, look, like we're not going to start with the touchy feely stuff, yo. Like that's right. not how this works, right? <laughs> we're going to do some things together and trust that it's going to work out. And then somewhere throughout the process of doing it or afterwards is where sort of the touchy feely stuff comes from, right? That's when I trust you. After right. you've shown that I can trust you, but we've got to do some things first, right? Some uh, hard things. Some hard things, typically, right? Um, yeah. and, and it's, we do hard things together and we learn each other's breaking points and how to support each other and things like that, not by talking about it up front, because who does that? I'm talking about it in that context, right? <laughs> right. But learning it really, and will you be there for me when I fall down, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know yeah. until I fall down, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I said, well, I feel a I, hand pick me back up. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the differentiators between personal and professional relationships. And that's why we, you know, we point this book at relationships in general because human beings are human beings. But to your point, Charlie, in personal relationships, we've got a little bit more latitude to wait for stuff or make you prove your your worthiness or trust um, before we commit in a leadership role. Well, that's part of the job, right? Our job is to build the relationships of the people on our teams. It's an obligation. It's not a nice to have. It's a must have. And we can't play it the same way that we would play something that we do for fun or a hobby or, you know, just a non-work arrangement, right? It's a different set of of, of constructs. Well, and that's the, the tricky thing. I was talking to one of my clients about this last week, and this is like, you know, in friend relationships or in personal, purely personal relationships, it's always a negotiation because the person can choose not to do the next thing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. At work, I got to show up tomorrow. You got to show up tomorrow. Presumptively. Well, you can <laughs> choose, but then you may not work here. Anymore. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but like there's a presumption, no matter what happens today, tomorrow, mm-hmm. right. We're going to be there. Like this, this isn't, right. you know, that weird uncle at Thanksgiving that you can skirt around forever. <laughs> We always talk about the weird uncle at Thanksgiving. Yeah. So like we got to do this stuff together. So how do we do it better? Right. How, how do we show up and from a place at once? So really what you've posited through the book and also in this conversation is that the having, being an ally, well, having allies is necessary, mm-hmm. but being an ally is also necessary. Um, yeah. And there are five different ways that we sort of talked about. So let's jump into that. So, so really pull our listeners into the conversation. So what are those five components of the ally mindset? Go ahead, Ruby. <laughs> so the first one is abundance and generosity. And it starts with this mindset of there's more than enough to go around. Um, this one has coaching in it, mentoring, looking up and seeing how we can best support the people around us. So it's this mindset of, I'm, I'm here to support you in any way that I can. And it has an active component to it. Um, they all do actually. The second mm-hmm. one is connection and compassion. I, I mentioned that it's the connecting with the people around you in a way that doesn't always come naturally in the course of business conversations. So we have to create space for it. And compassion has that empathy component to it. It's the action. It's the being with the people around you. Um, And the third one is uh, courage and vulnerability. So when I know you and I feel connected to you, I'm going to let my guard down. For me, this one points really to authenticity. 
speaking my truth, being willing to show up at work who I am and, and really sharing with you what's going on in my brain and what I'm thinking about and what I'm worried about. And this is asking for help, taking help, telling you I'm scared. All things that are kind of scary in a work context and also in a personal context, right? Um, and, and once we start to build up that courage and that connection, then we can start to really have the, the hard conversations, which is the candor and debate. I'm willing to say the thing that I need to say. I'm willing to challenge you a little bit. But the flip side is I'm willing to listen to that challenge. I'm willing to be receptive to, to what you're experiencing and trying to find some common ground in there. And again, if we have that connection and, and we, we trust one another, we give each other the grace, we can have those tough conversations. And the last component is action and accountability. So we have this relationship, we're cutting these deals, we're, we're being courageous, we're having tough conversations, but do you do what you said you were going to do? Do you keep your word? And then accountability, when I think about accountability, that's actually a looking up and looking around you to see what might the needs be of other people and how can I best support them? And, and so, so those are the, those five components of what it looks like to be a, a best friend at work, to be an ally. And as Eric said, we, each of us has some of these characteristics that come a little easier for each of us individually and some that are a little more difficult. For me, the connection and compassion comes, comes a little more easily, a little more naturally. Candor and debate, I'm going to really have to trust you to have the tough conversation. And that's my, my sort of edge, my leadership edge or arc that I'm working on right now. Eric, what about you on that, on those same five characteristics um, or components, which, which one is your <laughs> genius zone and which one is your growth zone? <laughs> so it's funny characteristics components. This is actually a piece of language that we struggled with Practices, when we were writing the yeah. book because we kept calling them different things and we settled on practices because mm -hmm. we have to practice them. We'll never, we're never going to get them right all the time because mm -hmm. people are messy. Right. Um, and, and so for me, you know, I'm a disc C I N F J. Um, <laughs> so the data stuff, right. The candor, I'm good at the candor. That's like, I can, I can spit out information and poke holes in, in your proposition all day long. Candor and debate comes really naturally for me, the flip side, the thing that comes most naturally to Ruby, connection and compassion, I'll sandbag and hold back because I've been burned before in work contexts, right? Personal relationships, that's a whole different barrel of monkeys. But um, <laughs> in work relationships, I tend to play it closer to the vest until you're in. Once you're in the circle then Katie bar the door, you're going to hear it all and, <laughs> and probably more than you want. Um, but it takes a lot of lift to get there because I'm not willing to invest on that dimension out of the gate. Now, if I'm building a team, um, I know that that's going to be a requirement to get to high performance. I'm, I'm never going to get past, you know, good norming if we don't, uh, 
if we don't show up authentically and I'm going to have to step into an uncomfortable space and go first. Um, so I've been practicing, right? So Ruby mentioned leadership arc. That's my leadership <laughs> arc, right? I am stepping into being my authentic self. I'm working with a client right now who he's, he's an engineer, but he's a very relationship oriented engineer. And every meeting that he has, he has a component that he calls bring your whole self to work. And he creates a space for other technology minded folks for whom this may not come naturally either. He creates a space for them to step into that where it's okay. There's no, there's no harm, no foul, no retribution for that. So I try to, to mirror those, those approaches in my own life here at work. You know, what's interesting on that last point you mentioned, Eric, in, in Team Habits, what I point out in the belonging chapter is a, a great question just to help people who aren't naturally on that connected and compassion side come in and bring mm -hmm. their whole selves is, um, you know, at meetings, the question is, what have been your non-work non wins over the last week? Love it. Non-work wins, we because you don't have to volunteer too much. You can be like, I planted tomatoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> It can be really easy. Uh, it'd be really easy. Or if you're maybe Ruby, you might get more of a saga, right, about what she right. did. But it gives everyone a way to practice that habit of bringing their non-work mm. wins into things and that we're more than just workers. And, and I love that. Right. And so if that helps y'all, like that, that's an easy question to pull in. That, yeah. It's low stakes for most people. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to to share some insight with something that mm -hmm. we do that we started a long time ago that... When we started it, I thought it was the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> and, uh, and so did Morag, which is funny because it was, she brought it to the, to the table. And we start all of our internal meetings. We do staff meeting once a week. And we start all of them with what we call ripples and joys. And it's two things. A ripple is some sort of business impact, right? I heard from a client I haven't heard from in a few years. I did a cool thing with this customer this week or whatever, right? Just something business oriented. And then a joy can be anything. It could be business oriented. It could be I planted tomatoes, right? And the interesting thing about it is the only restriction we've put on it is that it takes as long as it takes, Right. So our staff meetings are typically two hours long, but sometimes we've got commitments or travel or something and we've only got, you know, 45 minutes or whatever. We start with ripples, ripples and joys. And if it takes the whole time, it takes the whole time. Yeah. And that's been that's been a game changer in terms of how we embrace each other as colleagues, the things we know about each other. We've been through good stuff together. We've been yeah. through tough stuff together. And we share all that with one another in a space that we created that we explicitly say it's okay to say whatever you got to say here. Game changer. I love that. And I saw a couple of other threads in there. Um, when you said a two-hour staff meeting, I know a lot of listeners are like, oh, God. What it, what is this two hour meeting thing? Like, can we do it in 32 minutes or can we just not have the meeting? It's in the email. Like I heard, I heard you listener yeah, yeah. say, say something like that. And <laughs> sure. I have an idea about why they're two hours long, but I want to, you all to say, to, to reveal that story. So Ruby, I'm gonna kick that one over to you. Two hour meeting. Seriously. <laughs> it's really our moment of being together the whole week. We've always been remote. Um, 
virtual. We all work from home. But before COVID, we travel a lot together. But collectively, we never really had a lot of time together. So always ripples and joys. We focused on the being together. And then from the doing perspective, we'll do a quick update. What do we need from each other? That's actually very short. Um, It's very focused. And we each have our own list. And maybe it's one or two things of things we need to talk about together. And the rest of the time, it turns into a working session. Hey, here's this presentation I gave this week. Do you want to pull this into yours? Um, What business development conversations are you in? Who do we need to follow up with? So I would say it's, it's mostly for being together and then it turns into a working session. Yeah, hundred percent. It's we, we have so much focused client work that, you know, we do rarely do we do a project, the three of us together, right? It just doesn't make any sense, right? Um, we're better to divide and conquer, but we're better if we divide and conquer with the ideas collected from all three of us together. Oh yeah. Um, so it's a mechanism that allows us to do that. Cause you know, Ruby and I'll go do a gig and we'll try something new. And if we didn't have that space, well, more may never know about it and vice versa. Right. Um, and sometimes, sometimes we do some really cool stuff and we want <laughs> and we want to be able to share that. Um, you know, we'll take an activity or a, a experiential learning and flip it upside down and do it, you know, sort of inverted and it ends up working really well or it falls flat on his face and we can say, yeah, don't ever try that again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's that it's our placeholder for, for sharing and for being together. Cause unlike a lot of office environments, we just don't bump into each other in the hallway, you know, very often during the week. Yeah. You, you sort of fleshed out what, what my hypothesis was about your two hours of <laughs> meetings. Right. Um, and usually when I'm working with clients on, habits around belonging, one of the first things I'll say is that your meetings might actually need to be longer, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because what ends up happening is bis- meetings become about the business. Yeah. And there's no room for belonging because especially in remote or hybrid teams, we don't have those social functions that create the belonging that we used to have. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you think this is just going to magically delicious pop up by itself? Does not. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's not how this works. <laughs> Um, and I think this ain't lucky charms. This ain't lucky charms, no. <laughs> and I and I think the other thing to think about too, when people start like when you really break down meeting math and how long it takes to get into a meeting and transition for a meeting and things like that, like people are chopping their schedules to hell and back with a oh bunch of God. shorter yes. meetings because they're not accounting yeah. for the prep and the post. And, and inevitably, what happens is they end up saying like, "We can't get anything done." Right. Right. And COVID made this worse. Way worse. Oh, yeah. Way worse. Way worse. Right. And so Mm. it's just one of those like having a longer two hour meeting where you can actually get in, figure it out, not spend half a day on Slack going back and forth. (laughs) Right. Is is a far better way. But also you three are coaches, which means you're probably social processors, too. (laughs) Right. Um, Mm. by By default. And so like if we force you to sit down and write up that premise or write up that thing. Um, it might happen in a few weeks. I'm not saying right. that that's me in this or anything <laughs> versus just getting together and hashing it out for, you know, in five yeah. or 10 minutes and knowing what, what's going on. Um, and Absolutely. so I just wanted to put that out that like when you really design your team and your habits and your workways based upon full spectrum people and belonging and, and you pull those things in there, it changes a lot of things that you wouldn't think. Like it changes meeting lengths. It changes meeting mm-hmm. cadences. It changes 
how much time people look at screens. Um, And it's an important sort of consideration. So what I would imagine, listeners, if you're noticing in your teams the stuff on the work side of things, we'll come back to the belonging and being side of things. But if you notice there's just like something missing, there's like that 15 to 20% something's off and you can't figure it out, Mm -hmm. it's probably the way that you're working together doesn't create a sense of full belonging and really, yeah. really account really built around the people on your team. And when I say team in this context, I mean the four to the four to eight people that you spend 80% of your time working with day in day out. Right. Sure. Remember with those four to eight people, you have an incredible amount of influence and participation mm-hmm. and partnership. So yeah. you can change a lot of things together. Well, and you have choices to make in how you show up in that, right? It's, 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 it's more than the meeting math. I do love that phrase and I am stealing that, Charlie, because that's awesome. Um, but it's, it's the choices that you make on the good days mm-hmm. and the choices that you make on the bad days because we're all going to have those bad days. And one of the things I love about the relationship ecosystem is it's a snapshot in time and it's a bi-directional snapshot in time, right? There are days that 40% is all I got and that's okay. Right. Um, if I've invested in my relationship, like Ruby and I are, are are allies. I am 100% convinced of it. I have no second guesses or doubts about it. Are we always perfect? No, we, we had a sideways moment yesterday. Yeah, we did. We were both tired and we were both crabby and it's interesting, right? Because, I've been in work relationships where you have those sideways moments and then things get weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a sideways moment and I felt horrible. <laughs> and so I wrote her an email and I was like, I feel so bad. And I scheduled it because I was up late working on another thing last night rather than send it at, you know, 1230 AM or whatever time it was. I, I did the respectful thing and I scheduled it to go at seven 30 this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, at which point, you know, she responded, we had a conversation. Our relationship is fine, mm-hmm. right? There was no collateral damage to it because we butted heads on a thing. People butt heads on stuff. That's called being human and working yeah. together on a common outcome. That's just life in the big city. And if you've invested in the relationships, they'll withstand that. Yeah. If you haven't, things might get weird. Yeah, um, we talk about that, you know, talk about it in team habits as well as their bumps. Like if you've ever worked in fast food or not fast food in in dining or anything like that, mm-hmm. and you're working at close quarters, quarters with people like you'll step on someone's toe, you'll bump into them like it just <laughs> happens. And usually yeah. it doesn't mean anything. Now, sometimes there are creeps and, and buttholes that will like do weird <laughs> things like that's a real thing. But mostly, yeah, 80% of mostly. people is just like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little clumsy. I'm going to bump into you. It's not like you bumped into me. What? Right. <laughs> and it just gives us a neutral language. Like, Hey, we bumped into each other yesterday. Right. Mm-hmm. How are we doing? Bumped it's it. all good. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Or if it's a repeated, like we always bump at this place, maybe we right. can fix that. Right. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about that, but it's still not assuming intent because you're allies. Mm-hmm. You belong like your, your teammates, your yeah. allies. Yeah. And you can work that out. But if you're not allies, you're not teammates, yeah. then it's like scissors and knives. Like, no, like you cut me, I'm going to cut you, or I'm going to put up armor, I'm going to do all those sort of things. And it's like, I just accidentally stepped on your toe, right? 
Um, and yeah. we, I think we've all worked in cultures that sometimes they celebrate that behavior, right? Mm -hmm. They, they leaders model it and employees mm -hmm. follow and you have this sort of, you know, smartest person in the room, toughest guy on the field, whatever mentality. And it gets pretty toxic pretty quick mm -hmm. inside these team environments that are run on a scarcity mindset, fear basis, you know, the antitheses of the five practices of the ally mindset here. I've seen it, you know, I've seen the trade off, the allowance for the toxic rock star mm -hmm. because, well, that guy gets, that guy gets his numbers. That guy gets the results. So that's just Charlie. We let him be. Yeah. yeah, but Charlie's creating a wake of dead bodies behind him, right? He's he is busting stuff all over the organization, and at some point, that's not okay. Yeah, Bob Sutton's been right on this for a long time with the no asshole rule, right? Yeah, and just like <laughs> just we have no tolerance for it, and mm. and you know, in our company, we extend it to our vendors as well. It's like no, mm -hmm. we we do the work to not be that way, and yeah. we expect we extend it to our clients. Right. And so, yeah. But and here's the funny thing, though, like looking at candor and debate, especially with that particular cultural habit that you just mentioned there, Eric, many of the people think they're practicing candor and debate. Yeah, no, they're dropping candor bombs. They're not having any debates. <laughs> yeah, they 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 are they're barking loudly and, and trying to win something. The true spirit of candor and debate means we're having the conversation that really needs to happen in a respectful, mutually mm -hmm. beneficial way, right? Even, even if there's a winner and a loser, right? I see this happen a lot in organizations over headcount, right? We got two teams. I work a lot mm -hmm. with technology and software development firms. We got two software development teams and in, in the same division and in the division, we only have so much headcount, right? So, um, I've seen the the situations where, well, Charlie, I'll go toe to toe with you because I'm getting that headcount because I want it versus the, you know what? Your project is really important mm -hmm. right now and you are running up against bandwidth issues. You need it. You take it, buddy. Right. I'll get the next one. That's the difference. Right. And I, I've seen both of those things play out. And, and in that competitive scarcity mindset space, um, it, it's rough, man. It's not a place people want to hang out. It's not a place that people feel safe. You know, you talk about the concept, you know, the whole uh, Amy Edmondson and her psychological safety concept. You, you, you get PTSD in teams like that. And, and finding allies, showing up as an ally is even riskier to put yourself out there, which is why most people that want to do that, they stay quiet for as long as they can. Then they punch their card and they move on. I love that you mentioned on this one, and, and Ruby, I'm going to kick this, this sort of question to you, is I think we often don't think about as a team that, especially new teammates, we don't know what they're coming in with. We don't know if they just come from that PTS-like environment, or we don't know if they come from a high-belonging environment. And we also don't think about the fact that as much as we might love our teammates, at some point, they're going to move on to the next project. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, in a good case, it's because they grow, grow, and grow, and maybe there's just not, you know, the best case, obviously, they grow and we can create positions for them. Right. But there's a good case where they grow and they just outgrow what we can provide at this organization, and their next move is not with us. 
That's a good, and that's still a good outcome, but they're going to take those things with them to the next mm-hmm. place and to the next place and to the next place. And so I think there's a, I've seen this with some of my clients where they're like, I'm, you know, or people talking to me, less my clients, more people talking to me uh, or like, yeah, I'm just going to ride this one out. Mm-hmm. Right. As managers and leaders, I'm just going to ride it out and then see what sort of shakes out. And I'm always like, but think about those next environments. Like what, <laughs> like this person that just came in, you don't know what ripples that's going to have. Um, so that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big setup, Ruby. I didn't mean necessarily to get the perspective <laughs> or to set it up, but I'm just wondering yeah. how you all work mm-hmm. with your clients on just the fact that teams are fluid and people come and go and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. You made me think about a conversation I, I had this week, um, about a woman who's struggling with her leader. Um, and they're going through a lot of conflict and their conflict styles are different. Um, and it's freaking her out. And so her approach that she wants to take right now is to keep her head down and just get through this stressful time. And so I had to push back on her a little bit. I'm like, are are you sure? You know, what are your other options? Um, and also I'm really worried about her staying with this organization and to your point, the PTSD that will just go with her. So really her arc right now is, is, am I going to have the tough conversation? Am I going to speak my truth? Do I feel safe enough? Um, and whether, and I think there's going to come a point where she's going to want to leave no matter what. So I'm worried about her actually doing the work, practicing having the hard conversation. Cause you know what, if you're going to leave anyway, Take this as a moment in time to practice your courage, practice having the tough conversation, speaking your truth and giving the other person the benefit of the doubt because she is way down the track and she's on this, her, her angst around this relationship, but she has said absolutely zero to this other person. So she's all the way ready to break up with this leader and leave this team and leave this organization. And damn, they need her. And no one knows the pain that she's in. So for me, when I'm coaching leaders, it's about speaking your truth before you leave. And if you're getting close to leaving, you know what? Take this as a moment to practice the skill that doesn't come naturally to you. Because to your point, they're going to keep facing this in their next role And as leaders, we've got to learn how to do the harder things, whatever the thing that's hard for you. We've got to learn how to do that to grow and to model the way for our teams and the people around us. Because toxic teams aren't always toxic. Maybe, you know, the membership shifts, people's mindset shifts, the environment shifts. So it's just this, this notion of staying in conflict and and living through it versus moving around it. If that makes sense. Makes total sense. Eric, anything to add on that? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, thinking about decisions that leaders make in teams when they don't love the idea that teams are fluid and things change. Um, I always tell people, for most people that I talk to, this is not the last job you'll ever have. Precisely. Mm -hmm. Right? Ever. Um, (laughs) And I've worked with leaders who, you know, again, with the technology company spin, they were really good technologists 
And as a reward for that, they were promoted into a job that they were ill-prepared to do and probably didn't even really want. Um, so they held on to a lot of things. And I see some some choices that they made, consciously or otherwise, um, that hurt them badly with their teams. Um, leaving a rock star employee to their own volition, you know, they've got it. They don't need any coaching or interaction. I'm just going to stay out of their way. And then six months goes by and they've painted themselves into a corner where the only person that can do that job is Charlie. Mm -hmm. And if Charlie leaves, we're screwed. Um, so now I'm playing hard defense on keeping Charlie from leaving and I'm not engaging him in the way that I need to, or accepting the fact that I know at some point Charlie's got to go. Mm -hmm. It's better for him. It's better for us. It's better for the company. And I need to be preparing for that versus stacking the deck in a way that puts me in, in a, in a world of hurt mm -hmm. when one of those things does happen because it will. And I, I think getting comfortable with the idea that this ain't permanent, it's like life, life ain't permanent either. Right. So mm -hmm. you get comfortable with your team today is your team today. It may not be your team tomorrow and that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Um, and I would push a little bit further. It's a good thing. Yeah. Right. It's a good thing because, um, Teams need some dynamism, not saying that we should make that we should force that. Right. And so, right. Right. But it, it's, it's healthy for teams yeah. to have that sort of thing. Like I'm super grateful that I, I, my first professional opportunities were actually in the military as a leader, as an all, army officer. So I'll learn very, very quickly. My worst performers are not going to be there long. And right. my best performers are not going to be there long. Be long. <laughs> <laughs> right. My middle performers also not going to be there long. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's always thinking of how does this team exist, even though the members come and go and how do we not create single points of failure around mm -hmm. really great leaders and rock stars, or how do we create known bottlenecks because we have a performer that will never be able to get that thing done. And the whole mm -hmm. team has to rally around them. Right. And you just think in that way, but it was, it's in the civilian world as well. Right. And so I came yeah. in knowing that it's like, look, bottlenecks, you know, right. bottlenecks, succession plans. This is just the way. And then I learned very quickly, <laughs> wait a second, this is it's, unusual. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny to me because in American culture, you know, we're a sports heavy culture. Mm -hmm. Pick a sport. I don't care what it is. Any team sport. How long does that team stay together? Right. So in our, in our personal endeavors, we know this to be true because the Denver Broncos that won the Super Bowl are very different than the Denver Broncos of today and different than the Denver Broncos of last week, right? Because it was trade deadline time. And that's what happens. You trade people. That happens at work. It happens in sports. It's it's not like it's a surprise, but I think, and this goes back to the, the, the first practice of the ally mindset is, is abundance and generosity, right? If I show up with an abundance mindset and, and generosity for my thing, whatever it is, um, I'm in a better spot. When I first started working with Moreg 10 years ago, it was 10 years ago this weekend, next week. Oh, congrats. Yeah, thank you. Um, I come from a, a an A-type driver, dad, entrepreneurial mindset, ran his own company since I've been around. Um, so I when I showed up, my first question for Morag was, who are your competitors? Who are we out to kill? <laughs> and she goes, you joined a coaching company with that question. eh?" <laughs> she said to me, okay. she said to me, I have no idea. 
I said, what do you mean? What do you mean you have no idea? She said, I have no idea. She said, here's what I know. There's enough work out there and there's enough work that if it doesn't fit here, I give it to somebody else mm-hmm. and they'll do that to me. It'll be fine. And it was such a foreign concept to me because I, you know, grew up in a scarcity mindset frame and I was like, well, how, how is that ever going to be okay? Because if we don't protect our own stuff, then somebody's going to steal it. Well, that's not, turns out that's not how the world works, right? The abundance mindset, the generosity with your stuff. It's like your IP. I don't charge for IP. I build you a program. I brand it for you. It's yours. Do with it what you want. You want us to facilitate it again next year? Great. You want to do a train the trainer and take it over? Have at it. You want to just do it and not tell me? I don't care. It's fine. Because 99 times out of 100, what happens is, we do a thing. They say, well, we'll probably take that over next year. And then they go, this is really hard. You guys are really good at it. Why don't you just keep doing it? <laughs> Turns out. Right. Uh, I, I love that, right? Because you mentioned that's not the way the world is, right? Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. we often forget how much we define what we think the world is. And there are a mm-hmm. lot of different ways the world can be. The world can be competitive and it can be collaborative. It can be zero sum or it can be, you know, all, all boats, you know, with yeah. raised when the tide rising is, tide. Right. <laughs> and so I think we don't necessarily like I called this is philosopher Charlie. So you asked about a voice earlier, right? <laughs> like I, I think we forget how much there's sort of this neo Hobbesian view that life is nasty, brutish, miserable, yeah. and short, mm-hmm. and we're going to yes. get what we need to, and we're going to protect it. And that's part of our American cultural DNA compared to, the, compared to the Lockean perspective, which tends to be more abundant, which is like we ha- there's abundance and we need to learn how to share it and cooperate and build a civil society around that, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we forget that, oh, business is this way. No, this, that is a way of being in business. It is a way of being. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, we can choose a different way. It has trade-offs, right? Yeah. Um, But does it help us be closer to who we most want to be? That's the critical element. That's what makes Ruby and I say we have the best job ever, right? I get to do work that I love with people whom I love for clients whom I love. Not everybody gets to do that. That's a choice. Now, am I missing out? Maybe, you know, sometimes We'll learn about a colleague that does the, th- the same thing that we do and they take an internal job and they make a gajillion dollars a year with a, <laughs> with, with a quadrillion dollar bonus and equity that they, they just bought a boat and four Teslas. Okay, great. And I, part of us goes, oh, we could be doing that. <sighs> but then I'm like, I don't want to go to the same place every day and see the same people and do the same thing. The, the trade-off is I live my best life right now, right? And I am super lucky. Did I miss out on on the you know big corner office and the private bathroom in my office? What maybe I don't know. Did I miss out on the giant client engagement that would have taken uh, would have put us in a position to hire thirty people to be able to deliver it and changed the fabric of the organization that we've created over the last decade? Maybe, but I love what I got going on right mm-hmm. now, and it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And every day I choose into that, right? I, I make I make a positive, affirmative choice that I look around and I go, 
It's pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. This is pretty good. There are other ways of being. And sometimes I think when we're in larger, more complex organizations, we don't feel like we have a choice because we have to abide by, you know, cultural rules and idioms. And, um, and, and to some extent that may be true, but Ruby and I and Morag have a concept we call chunking it down, mm-hmm. right? I may not be able to, to act a certain way or change a certain thing about the, the culture of the company writ large, but I can chunk it down and I can make my team whatever I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have a team, I can make mine, my own experience, whatever I want it to be. And if I can't get enough alignment with what's going on around me, then I need to make a choice, right? To Ruby's story about the person that she was coaching you know, she's worried about her well-being at this point in time because like you said, I'm just going to ride it out. Okay, maybe. And if you're doing that affirmatively, okay. If you're doing it out of habit and not realizing that that's been your decision, you know, like the great philosophers, you mentioned Hobbes and Locke. I mentioned Rush. When you choose not to decide, (laughs) Charlie, you still have made a choice. That was and actually Sarge, feel- but okay, it's Rush too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, you know, we talk, I, I have to admit, as coaches, we're in a bit of the, uh, the echo chamber when it comes to relationships. Sure. Like, we understand the power of allyship and social, um, you know, the social play that is actually the foundation of work, right? When it comes to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know folks are thinking like, this seems like it's going to take a lot of time. Um, so Ruby, I'm gonna kick this one to you. So like <laughs> how in this hybrid work world where we got so much going on, um, how do we continue to nurture that relationship while at a distance and still trying to get stuff done? Because turns out we still got to get stuff done too. You know, I think one thing that's been really interesting to me in this hybrid environment is we have we are going meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. Our days are messy, um, and people are working at night to get the work done based on the commitments they made during the day. Um, and, and so, to your point, like, how do we we do this? And I think it's little tiny acts. And I'll give you an example. One thing Morag did recently, I have an aunt who's pretty sick um, and it was pretty dramatic event this year and she may not live very long. And and I hadn't talked to Morag in a while. And just in Slack really quickly, she said, how is your aunt doing and how is your mom doing? We didn't have a 20 minute conversation around it, but I knew that she remembered something was going on in my life outside of work and she wanted to check in. So it gave me an option, an option opportunity to say, I'm freaking out or I'm okay. And it was that little moment of connection that took 10 seconds. Um, but in this remote hybrid environment, there's a little more intentionality that's required and a little bit more vulnerability on my part. If I'm having a hard day, I've got to tell you or you're never going to know. And we're just going to go about the course of business. I could have had a really significant fight with my partner and I could just fake it all day, but you're not getting my best. And I'm barely making it through the day. And you might never know if I don't tell you. So 
I think the two things, a little bit more intentionality and a little bit more courage in going first and quick check-ins. We don't have to have these long conversations because honestly, we don't got time for that. Eric and I don't even call each other and have (laughs) really deep, long conversations. Maybe it's like once a month, we jump on the phone and we're on for like an hour, right? Or we go out because, And that's at night because we're (laughs) friends and we're, but we, we, we even work a little bit, but that's my take on it. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm going to say on that front that, um, well, Eric, I'm going to flip the flip side of that question to you, right? Because a lot of times, even when leaders or teammates reach out, hey, how are you doing? How's your mom? There's that like, ooh, what? I don't know how to respond to that, Mm -hmm. right? So what would you, um, because we're talking about developing and cultivating this way of being together, people need practice. What would you encourage people who get that text and like, I I don't know how to respond to this professionally or like a human or short I don't know what to do. Well, I would, I would say to the leader, <clears throat> if this is out of pattern for you, it's like <laughs> trying a new machine at the gym. It's going to feel weird. You're going to be sore after, and it's probably not going to go the way you expect, but you have to keep with it. Right. So <laughs> Ruby usually tells this story and it's a funny one because when Ruby started working with us, this was getting on eight years ago now, Ruby. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to just call each other when we didn't need stuff like more ag and I, cause we would, we would do a lot of work solo. And when one of us would get in a car and drive to the next place or head to the airport, you just call the other person. Cause for a long time it was me and more ag. And it'd be like, okay, so, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. So then Ruby joined and more started doing this to her and just calling out of the blue for no reason. And the first time it happened, what did you say, Ruby, to yourself? Like, is she checking on me? Like, should I be at my desk? Because I'm at the grocery store right now. Should I answer the phone? (laughs) Am I in trouble? Am I in trouble? (laughs) So it was was a new practice. Mm -hmm. And we all have our our stories around why things are happening. They tend to be personal. They tend to be negative. Um, So until you know that's a thing, it's going to be strange. Right. So as the leader, I've got to make it okay. I've got to give you some context. If I just start doing a thing out of the blue, I read a great book and I'm going to start doing a thing from Charlie's book. If I don't tell you what that is, there are going to be people on the team that are going to be like, yes, I've been waiting for him to do this. And there are going to be people who are going to go, hold on, what's going on here Mm -hmm. for reals. Right. Um, So it's that you got, you got to go first. We've talked about that a lot today, but you've also got to set context, right? And when, when people tell me as a disc C INFJ analytical, if you tell me why you're doing a thing, I go, okay, makes sense. Peace. And I let that happen. If you just do something, well, my brain is trying to figure out why that's happening. And I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt always. It's going to be based on all of the interactions that we've had up until this point in time and what trend line I think we're on. And that trend line might be negatively framed, right? Totally. Because we're human, right? It might be like, oh, I've been slipping up. It's my journey, right? Like, I know I've been having a bad week. Do they know I've been having a bad week? Are they they checking up? The person has Mm -hmm. no idea because to Ruby's point, you didn't tell them, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. But that's what you inject into the conversation, right? And that's what pops up. And so that's 
you know, we never know what's going on inside people's heads and they never know what's going on inside ours unless we tell them. Unless we tell them. And unless they trust that what we tell them is actually true. That's a whole other, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, we could talk for another hour on that one. <laughs> well, I wish I could talk to you two for another two hours, but I'm looking at the time. Um, you know, as we sort of wrap up here, um, as to as the guest on today's show, you get to leave our listeners with an invitation or a challenge, depending upon which one most resonates with you. So it's you're both guests, mm-hmm. so each of you get an invitation or a challenge. Um, and so we'll start on this one with Ruby. So my challenge to everyone, and I'm including myself in this, is to lean in to having the hard conversations. Because keeping your head down isn't going to change a damn thing. Mm, that's a great one. Eric. I love it. I'm, I'm going to leave the audience with an invi challenge. It's an invitation. <laughs> of course you are. And a challenge. Well, Ruby took the counter. I thought she was going to invite us to something. <laughs> Given Ruby's flow, I was like, it's going to be an invitation. Right? And yeah. she, she zagged on me super quick. So great pattern See? interrupt there, Ruby. <laughs> she went out Sneaky. of her comfort zone. Sneaky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I would like to to invite anybody listening to to take our ally mindset profile. This will give you some insights into what comes naturally to you as it relates to the five practices. And just to recap, right? Abundance and generosity, connection and compassion, courage and vulnerability, candor and debate, action and accountability. You can get to it by going to skyteam, S-K-Y-E-T-E-A-M dot cloud. C-L-O-U-D forward slash you, me, we, and that'll, that'll give it to you. It's free. Um, You'll get a nice report. You'll see what comes most naturally to you and where you might need to focus some attention. And if anybody has thoughts, insights, and wants to talk about it, let us know. We'd love to talk about it. Fantastic. And we'll put those links in the show notes. So if you're listening on a device or wherever you are, you will see it um, in the show notes. So you don't necessarily remember that, but please do check that out. Ruby, Eric, it's been great having you um, on this conversation. I look forward to whatever our next one might be. And thank you. Yeah. Love it. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Thank you. All right, listeners. So you heard it from both Ruby and Eric. One, how, what hard conversations might you have with your teammates this week? Remember that you probably have more trust and rapport with them than you think. And it doesn't have to be a power dynamic conversation, but maybe it's time to talk about one of those bumps and go to you, me, we, excuse me, go to what we put in the, in the show notes here to take the assessment and figure out what your leadership edge and what your growth edge is when it comes to what we've talked about today until next time, stand tall and start finishing. You've got great ideas. Now it's time to turn them into a project. Try our new app momentum to easily create a schedule and help you achieve what matters most. It's a productivity coach in your pocket. To learn more, go to hellomomentum.app slash pod. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. 